morning and welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church. It's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord and worship together. Let's stand and um, say that to our God. Joyful is the sound we make this morning. Thankful is the song we sing. Hopeful is the prayer on our lips. May the peace and presence of Christ be known among us. Lord our God, we come into your house this morning to hear your voice in our lives, to hear you free us and liberate us. Lord, we offer to you our, uh, the dark places that you would fill us with light, that we may carry your light uh, in this world. Pray that you join us in this morning, in this worship service. We offer to you our joys, our burdens, our grief. And know that you carry us and you carry all of it in your love. Amen.
you're seated, take a moment to share a word of greeting, a word of peace with others who are here in worship today. great joy to come together in worship on this beautiful Sunday morning. Glad that you are here and are joining your voice and heart and mind and spirit with uh, everyone else here in worshiping our God. There are just a few things that I want to highlight uh, happening in the life of our church. Tonight at 6 o'clock we'll be back here in the sanctuary for a service of prayer. It's an opportunity for us to pray together. The pastors will be available to pray with and for those of you who would like and to anoint with oil, those who would like for healing. We also have uh, two people who are going to be baptized tonight. So there'll be a lot of, uh, of things happening this evening as we gather here at 6. We hope you'll be able to be a part of that. Also, please note that beginning next Sunday, our worst Sunday morning worship schedule changes for, uh, for the next uh, month and a half or so. Uh, worship at 8.30 and 11 uh, on Sunday morning. So just please note that change. Also, we have still some opportunities for you to be involved in uh, Children's Church and Sunday School in the next few months. If you're going to be around, it was, it's a great opportunity, a great way of, of helping our young ones know more about Jesus. So if you're interested, there are some sign-up sheets on the back table. Uh, do that. So you fill those out, hand them to an usher, or get them to the church office uh, this week or one of the pastors, and we'll uh, get you in contact with the right people for that ministry. There are always... Uh, prayer concerns, things for us to, to remember before the Father, things in our own lives, things in the lives of others that uh, we love and care about, and things in the world. And uh, we're praying for God's grace in each of those situations. The last couple of days, we've spent some specific time praying for our graduates, our, the college graduates, high school graduates, and it's been a great time of, of bringing them before the Father. This morning, we're going to take a few moments to recognize and to pray for our high school graduates. Good morning. Uh, as Pastor West said, we have an opportunity now to recognize our high school graduating seniors, and I'd like to invite you guys to come forward now, please, and stand up here. We thought that it would be important for us as a body of believers and as a community of faith to take a moment and just recognize and celebrate with uh, these young people, this very significant uh, accomplishment that, that they've uh, come to. Also, I think it's good if, that we can affirm our love for them, our ongoing support and prayers for them, just that we recognize them as part, as, as part of our body of believers here. And finally, we want to take a moment just to ask God's blessing on their lives and, and ask that he would bless them as they go forward, that he would continue to lead and to guide them. And uh, so we're going to do that this morning. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray for them. I'm going to have them kneel here at the altar. You guys could just kneel down for me. And friends and family and teachers, and if you've been involved in their lives, would you just come forward and lay hands on them? Maybe if you're a leader in the church, we just really want to send them off by covering them in prayer and, uh, and recognizing God's presence here in their lives. And um, I've asked uh, three people to pray over them. 
Uh, we have an elder representative uh, in uh, Dave Doherty. Um, Dean Dover is also going to pray. And finally, Pastor Wes will uh, we'll pray for them. So would you guys stand, if you're able, as a, as a show of support for them? Thank you so much. Let's pray. Father, it's a privilege to commit these young people into your hand. We pray that you would continue a work in each one of their lives. Draw them closer to you at whatever stage they're at in seeking and following you. Strengthen them, embolden them. May they be a guiding light as they go out from this place, pointing other people towards you, towards your will for their lives. We thank you for them. We thank you for the gift of their presence with us. And we ask your blessing on them as they're sent out. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Our Father and our God, wow, it's exciting to see these seniors here. 38 of them. You've brought them here from all over the world. Some of these students came here when they were infants. I remember seeing some of them as their parents brought them at first, when they were first young born. What exciting to see them grow up in this church. And the ones that have come in the last few years, maybe just one year, maybe five years, to come in this church doors, the first time in their lives ever entering a church. What a blessing that is. Help us, Father, I just pray that you would really work in their lives as they get ready to travel and to go to different universities and to work in different places. You know, Lord, some are going to Australia and China and Korea, Switzerland. They're going to be on the West Coast. They're going to be in the middle of the country. They're going to be on the East Coast. They're going to be all over. My Father, I just pray that you would bless them and keep them, keep them in the hollow of your hand and guide them and protect them, that they would know you as their Lord and Savior. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for every one of these young people kneeling before us. You love them with a kind of love that is so hard even to comprehend. You love them for who they are as your loved creation. You love them every moment of every day. You want what is best for them. And we thank you for each one of their lives and for the privilege of having intersected their lives in this church. Help them to know your grace and love as they move forward. Help them to know our love and support, our prayers our concerns as they go forth as well. May this moment today be emblazoned in their minds in such a way that you will use it to encourage them when they face difficult decisions. That you'll use this moment of prayer and support to help them choose the right way and to follow you and to open their hearts to you, either for the first time or in a deeper way. Father, pour out your grace upon every person here and help them to know how much you love them and how important they are to us and to your people. 
we give them to you with joy and send them forth in your spirit. Amen. Students, we want you to know that we love you and we're praying for you as you go. Uh, God bless you. You may return to your seats. Uh, Many of these students are going to be going to their Sunday school classes now, so you guys can go ahead and do that. This morning's anthem is When in Our Music, God is Glorified. Um, I will be inviting you to sing with us in the final stanza, and the words will be on the screen. Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 11, where God gives us a picture of his peaceable kingdom. Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 9. 
A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand, and we'll sing together our praise in the Gloria Patri as the ushers come forward. as we gave you this offering of praise, we give you the offering of our lives and of all the things that you've entrusted to our hands. Pray that you would use us and them for your service in this world. Amen.
We have the opportunity to offer our prayers together to God. And as we do so, it's been our practice for some time. If you would like to use the altar as a place where you come and pray, I invite you to join me. Heavenly Father, we come to this moment of prayer recognizing that life can be hard and demanding, difficult. That life often brings struggle and pain. But we come to this moment of prayer because we know that you alone have the answers that we desperately seek. We believe that you are good and merciful and that you are the almighty and sovereign God of all. We come to this moment of prayer to declare that we trust you and that you hear us when we pray. Father, we have much on our minds and hearts as we come to this moment today. And in these moments of silence, we offer our prayers to you. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers, for direction in life, for healing, for relationships, for habits and struggles. For our world and its great need. And for all of our graduates and all that faces them. We know that you are with them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace in the midst of all of life's difficulties. In this time of prayer, we know that you hear us and you answer in the way that is best. As we offer our prayers in the name of Jesus, our crucified King, risen Lord, and returning King, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The New Testament reading is from 2 Peter, chapter 3, and it's the whole chapter. 2 Peter 3, 1 to 18. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you. In them, I am trying to arouse your sincere intention by reminding you that you should remember the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken through your apostles. First of all, you must understand this, that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and indulging their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our ancestors died, all things continued as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately ignore this fact, that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by means of water, through which the world of that time was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the godless. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about keeping his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire. And the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire? But in accordance with his promise, we wait for a new heavens and new earth, where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, speaking of this as he does in all his letters. There are some things in them hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you are forewarned, beware that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. Have you ever had an inkling to want to guess when Jesus is going to return? You ever written down a piece of paper, I think it's going to be this day or this year, and you stick it away in an envelope, and when that day comes, hopefully you won't open it up. Uh, it wouldn't be around. Um, there are people, always people, who want to do that. From the day that Jesus ascended into heaven, there have been people guessing when he was going to return. When he's going to come back, when, when, when he's going to bring in the, the fulfillment, fulfillment of all of his kingdom. And even recently, there have been people who have, who have made declarations about this day or that day, and obviously they've been wrong. There is something in us that wants to know more about the second coming of Christ, and, and that's not bad. We want to know more of what it will mean for Christ to return. And even have an idea of when that might take place. As Peter is finishing up this letter to to the church whom he writes, I think he recognizes that they are having that same struggle, the the same inclination to want to, to know more. And he says to them, I want to remind you of what the prophets and of Jesus said. And it's good for you to remember those things. In fact, he talks about it, it, it nurturing uh, good thinking in you. It's important to do that. It's interesting to me, as he has said before, he reminds them, I'm not telling you something new. I'm not giving you some information that you're going to say, whoa, never heard that before. J.B. Phillips' translation says that, that I'm telling you things that you already know. We're back to that idea of, of creating and nurturing our Christian memory. And how important it is to continue to develop our Christian memory so that as life comes to us, we have a well to draw from. To remember, we never outgrow needing to remember the things of God. We never outgrow the need to learn more of who God is and what God has said to us and what God has promised to us. Because there are always people who want to discourage us and erode our our confidence in God and what God has said. I think that's what's happening with the people in this letter. Peter says there are going to be people who come along who will scoff about the coming of Christ. And they're going to say, so where is Christ? What about this big coming back that he declared and you talk about? Doesn't look to me like he's coming back. Waiting an awfully long time. And when I look around the world, I don't see much any different. The Romans still hold the weapons. The powerful and the wealthy still control the world. The vulnerable and the weak are still taken advantage of. The church is still persecuted. I don't see any difference. So where is this coming of Christ? The attitude in which they ask that is not a genuine, I'd like to know. It's mocking. 
It reminds me of what Jesus says, or what uh, the prophet Malachi writes in the second chapter of his prophecy, where he says, you're wearying the Lord with your words. And the people say, how are we wearying the Lord with our words? He says, well, for one thing, you say evil is good and God likes it and approves of it. But also you're asking the question, where is the God of justice? And you don't mean by that question, I'm a serious inquirer. You mean by that question, so what's God doing here? Because I don't see him doing anything. Where is this great God of justice who makes all these great declarations about it? Doesn't look to me like he's anywhere around. And they're doing the same thing here as Peter writes this letter. Where is this coming of Christ? I don't think he's going to come. And underlying their skepticism is a sense that we really can't trust God to keep his word. God can't be relied on to keep his promises. God hasn't come back. He certainly hasn't kept this promise. So what would make me think he can keep any of his promises? You're a fool for believing that. And they are eroding, slowly eroding and working to erode the faith and the confidence of the church in God. Peter says they have forgotten the truth. They have forgotten what God has done in the past and what God will do and that God has kept his promises. Peter loves to to have the readers go back to the Old Testament and he seems to be especially infatuated with uh, Noah and the flood. It's the second time in this brief letter that he has spent, you know, a fair amount of space writing and talking about the flood. And he says, the same God who sent the flood because of the, the abhorrent wickedness on the earth is poised to bring judgment once again. You can bank on it. Just look at what he's done. Now, we don't know much about the story of Noah. We don't know... We don't have any details about how long it took Noah to build the ark. I would suspect it took him a little while. It's kind of a big boat and he didn't have a lot of help, I don't think. We don't know how, what kind of interactions he had with the people around him. You know, if you've ever heard Bill Cosby talk about Noah and the ark, you get a, you know, he has a little uh, scene where he describes the neighbor, Noah's neighbor coming out of his house at seven in the morning and Noah's out there working on the ark and neighbor says, what are you, what is that? He said, it's an ark. He said, well, get it out of my driveway. I got to go to work. And you know, he, they have this dialogue about what the ark is. I don't know. Maybe those conversations took place, but I suspect that in the Probably years it took Noah to build that ark. A lot of people asked him, what are you doing? What is this about? And Noah had a prophetic voice to them to say, this is about God being fed up and and needing to do something about the wicked corruption on the earth. And you have a chance to turn from that. You have a chance to to see God differently and to relate to, to Yahweh differently That's what this ark is about. And I am sure Noah was ridiculed and mocked and and made fun of because he's building this huge boat for nothing. And the people looking around saying, don't feel any rain. Doesn't look like to me God's doing anything. But Noah held firm. And eventually the rain began to come and God kept his promise. 
And Peter wants us to understand that despite what people say, God keeps his promises. And the the, the delay in Jesus returning is not because God is weak. It's not because God doesn't have control of the world. It's it's not because God doesn't know what he's doing. Actually, it's, it's because God is patient and loving. He could have come a long time ago, but he cares about people. And he wants to delay the coming as long as possible so that more and more people might know of Christ and turn their hearts to Christ. It is because of his love for the world that Christ delays. I know that that Peter's talking about the the coming of Christ and the sort of the cosmic idea of that. But that idea, that principle of God delaying out of a heart of love and compassion is woven into the fabric of our everyday lives. We pray for God to change a situation and it doesn't happen. We pray for God to, to do something about our job and all we get is silence. We pray for God to, to, to do something out of voice out of heaven about which decision we should make and we get nothing. And we pray and we seek and, and sometimes all we get is silence. And it's in those moments where we have to somehow believe that God's delay is his perfect timing. It's in the delays, in the struggles that we often grow the most in our relationship with Christ. Because it's in those struggles where we come face to face with the decision. Are we going to trust God or not? And every time we make a decision to trust God, we grow a little bit more like Jesus. We open our hearts a little bit more to the spirit to work in us and to change us. But we have a hard time with God's timing. We want God to adjust his timing to our time. We want God to do things in the way we think is best rather than being willing to trust and wait for what he knows is best. Every time I read verse 8 about how, you know, a thousand years like a day to God, it reminds me of the apocryphal story, obviously, of a guy who was who was praying one day to God and he said, Lord, is it true that to you a, 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 thousand, a thousand years is, is like a second and a million dollars is like a penny? And God said, yes, that's true. He said, well, Lord, could I have a penny? And God said, sure, just a second. You know, it's hard to, to live in God's time because we've got our time and we want to race forward and race ahead. And we think we know best. But all the while, God's delay is not harshness. It's not anger. It's not, it's not some kind of, of punishment on us. And it's certainly not God being out of control with the world or being weak. It's about God's grace and love and believing that God's timing is always perfect. Never too late, never early. It's perfect. And the challenge for us in the the daily 
living as well as in the cosmic sense of his returning is to trust and believe that his timing is perfect. I think it's all about that timing. Why God doesn't tell us the day and the time and the hour when Jesus is going to return. Because not knowing, again, forces us to decide, are we going to trust? Are we going to to wait, believing that God's timing is right and that he could come whenever? Or are we going to keep fretting about it? I suspect, knowing human nature, if God's told us that, that Jesus is going to return on September 27th, 2012... A whole lot of people would wait till September 26, 2012 to do anything about it. Yeah. And the thing is, it's not just about waiting to the last minute and sort of taking that risk. But it's about missing out on the fullness of God in our lives. Having surrendered ourselves and learning to trust him That can't come when all we're doing is waiting to the last minute. Because eternity is not just about when we die or when Christ returns. We live now in the shadow of eternity. We live now as as people of the risen Christ. And the life that Christ has for us doesn't begin on that day. It begins now. And it's at work in us now. And God wants to to create in us all that he created us to be. And to fill us with the fullness of life that can only come from him. And while we sometimes think of waiting till the last minute lets us do whatever we want to do. It's really a sense of choosing between the, you know, the, the puny temporary stuff of this world and the awesome eternal and infinite stuff of our God. It comes back to trusting him. So when Peter says he comes like a thief, he comes unexpectedly, he's going to surprise you. It's a gift of God that we don't know. Finally, when you get to verse 11, Peter says, okay, so you know all of this. What should we do about it? So if you know Christ is coming and, you're, and, and you know that his delay is because of his patience and he keeps his word, what do we do about that? And he says, you need to prepare. You need to be ready. And preparing means living a godly, holy life. I don't know about you, but that's intimidating to me to think of the way I prepare is to be godly and holy. And yet that's been God's word from the beginning. Way back in the early stages of the Old Testament, God says to his people, be holy because I'm holy. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, be perfect because your heavenly father is perfect. And, and we get so wrapped up in what that means and how to define that and how to, what that looks like. We miss the point. The point is simply to open our hearts to Christ and let the Spirit work in us and change us as we surrender ourselves to him. Being holy is wanting what God wants. Having our focus on God, having our hearts surrender to him. That's what it means to be godly. It's wanting the Spirit of Christ in us. And being prepared really is simply wanting with all of our being. He says, make every effort with everything that we have. We simply want Christ, to, to God, to make us like Jesus. To make us holy like him. And that means that 
we live now with a sense of the spirit of what it will be like when we live in the new heaven and the new earth. Peter says it's, it's righteousness will dwell there. It will be righteousness home in that place. It will be all about the righteousness of God. And one of the images that comes to my mind is what we read earlier from Isaiah, where he says, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear and the cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. And the baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. What a great image of, of the righteousness of God, of taking all of the things now that are, that are, at, at, are at enemies of each other, and enmity with each other, and reconciling them, bringing them together. And the, justice, the righteousness of God is about his justice and his mercy and his grace and his truth and his love. It will be all about love. Jesus says to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. In fact, people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And there will be that sense of reconciliation, reconciliation with God and with each other. And that too is a part of how we prepare, that we live in this world, as he says, at peace. We live in this world with our, our desires and our, and our hearts focused on loving God with all of our being and loving one another. It has to always be both. John Wesley said there's no holiness except social holiness. And by that he meant you, you cannot be completely holy if it's just about you and God. It's always about you and God and you and others. It's another way of saying what John says in his epistle. If you say you love God, but you hate others, you don't really love God. And so to be prepared to live a holy and godly life is not just about being obedient to God and being, as he says, spotless and blameless and and being surrendered to God. But it's also about that allowing us to see each other differently. And to be compassionate toward each other, to care for one another, to love one another, to sacrifice for each other, to be patient as God is patient with us, to be willing to say, if it will mean something good for another person, then let my struggle continue. If it means that someone else might draw closer to Christ, then, then let my difficulties keep coming. Because I care more about what God wants to do in their lives and about loving them than I am about my own ease and comfort. And ultimately, being prepared is ironically living, as he says, with this eager expectation of his coming. It may seem seem that, that being willing to to trust in the delay and yet living with eager anticipation are two different things, but they're a part of the tension and the paradox. Because if we eagerly anticipate Christ's coming, it means that we're focused on him. 
And his coming impinges on every decision we make and on our attitudes and on our actions, on how we live our lives every day. Because our goal is to be ready whenever Christ comes. And to live with our hearts and our minds and our spirits focused not on the stuff of this world, but on Christ. And to interpret everything in this world from the perspective of Christ. It's hard to live that way because we live in a world where people are continually wanting to deceive us and erode our faith and our confidence and undermine our desire for godliness. Even in the church, we wrestle with this. We want to get off track on peripheral things and instead of focusing on what's central. And, and Peter warns, he says, look, there are people who are going to take the scriptures. They're going to twist it. Even that day, they're twisting Paul's words. They're twisting all of the scriptures. And they continue to do that. And they put themselves and they put us in danger. Because the evil one wants us to buy into their twisting. And he says, be careful. Because you can be deceived. And you can fall away. And we talked about this some last week and about how, you know, that those words may not fit into your theology. You know, this, this, is, this is one of the, the verses, you know, the Wesleyan, one of the flags that Wesleyans fly, you know, when we talk about this issue of can a person choose Christ and then decide not to choose Christ or not. And, and as I said last week, I, the scriptures really are pretty clear about telling us we are secure in Christ and be careful because you can fall away. And it tells us both things. And it just reminds us that our faith is always lived in the tension, in the paradox of of those two truths. But the reality here for Peter is be on your guard. And he says the the best way to, to not fall, the best way to not be deceived is to commit yourself to grow in the knowledge and the grace of God. Immerse yourself in the scriptures. Do everything you can to, to, uh, to use the means of grace that God has given us. And ultimately, ultimately the, the most profound sign of our maturity in Christ and that we are making progress with Christ is that we begin to live our lives for one reason. To glorify God. That every decision we make is shaped around, will this glorify God? Every attitude keeps coming back to, I want to glorify God. Every relationship, I want to glorify God. Ultimately, that's what heaven will be. When we get there, the book of Revelation tells us so clearly that the focus of of the new heaven and the new earth will be on glorifying Christ. Bowing down in worship, giving him all of our attention and all of the stuff that we sometimes think about heaven that we might experience. And we might, but all of it will pale in comparison to glorifying God in Christ. And if that's what we're going to do in eternity, wouldn't we want to begin practicing now? And letting what we do be centered and focused 
on glorifying our Lord and Savior who has done everything for us. When I was in junior high, we used to watch a lot of uh, Christian movies at church. And one of the movies that we watched was A Thief in the Night. How many of you have seen the movie A Thief in the Night? Yeah, a few of you. This is a movie that, for those of you who haven't seen it, that depicts uh, one possible scenario of what happens when Christ returns. And for the movie, it was, it was what they were describing was what they would call the rapture, I would guess. And it talked, showed different vignettes of different people's lives as they lived them out and accepting Christ and rejecting Christ. And then the day came when Christ returned and the Christians were taken off the earth. And there's this scene of, of uh, the husband and wife, and one of them is a follower of Christ, and the other one's not. And you hear his razor in the, in the bathroom as he's shaving, and she calls out to him, and he's not answering. And she walks in there, and the razor is running, lying in the sink. One of the guys was telling me at an earlier service that he, he had some friends who, in one dorm, they told everyone except one guy that they put all their clothes out on the bed and glasses and all kinds of things, and then they all took off. And they videotaped somehow the guy coming in and everybody being gone with all that stuff sitting there. I had some friends who did the razor thing with somebody too. I, I got to tell you, that's as close to a horror film as a person can find. You know, this movie. Uh, I mean, it scared the bejeebies out of me when I saw it in junior high. And when I saw it in seminary, it scared me to death again too. I think that was the intent. I think his intent was to scare people out of hell and into heaven. I remember just a few weeks after we saw that movie, I came home from baseball practice early one evening, walked into the house expecting everyone to be there, and no one was home. You freak out city, I'm telling you. Man, it was, it was panic, you know, about that. But you know what's interesting is I read the New Testament. There is definitely something about being aware of of the fear that can come if we're not ready for the return of Christ. But when I read the New Testament, the overwhelming idea that you get from the writers and from the stories is not fear, but hope and celebration and joy that our Savior is returning and He's going to take us to be with Him. And it's going to be glorious. And He's calling us now to live in the shadow, in the joy, in the blessing of what he has planned and prepared for us by living in a way that we are planning and preparing now. So as you think about your life, you think about the focus, the direction of your life, is it moving you toward preparation? Or not. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us to see what you've promised for us and what you've given to us and prepared for us and, and the grace you've given us about how we live now. Help us. Lord, we don't know the situation related to the siren, but you know. And we pray that you will 
bring your grace to bear on whatever the circumstance may be. Father, fill our hearts with joy and anticipation in such a way that that it changes how we live now. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to join with me in the prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin. This is an opportunity for us to to honestly say some things to God about our struggles and ask for His grace. And we're going to ask us as we pray together to perhaps pray just a little bit a little bit slower than we might normally pray a unison prayer. To just ponder these words and, and to pray them from our hearts. Let's pray together. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask for your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. Amen. Please stand with me as we sing together this prayer. May the mind of Christ, my Savior.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.